Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Stephen Alexander. And I'm Jason Thompson. Right. Uh, right. So uh, the first thing we're going to look at is going to be uh, season one of Transformers. And we're starting right in with the, uh, the first three-parter. Um, and we're going to start off with this one, which is has at least three titles. So uh, what is your preferred title for this, Jason? Well, uh, I'm a bit of a pedant. Uh, I, I would call it More Than Meets the Eye Part One, because that's what it's supposed to be. But to me, it's always going to be Arrival from Cybertron, because that's the title it was given when it was released on VHS. And that's what I had. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I had as well. And, and I remember the, the video very well with a nice picture of Megatron on the cover. But it's not referred to that on screen. It is only referred to as the Transformers. So there is argue, you could argue that it's just called the Transformers and leave it at that. That's you fine. could. You could indeed, because the first three episodes was presented as a little mini series, wasn't it? That was just, it's the next exciting episode of the Transformers. And in fact, part three when we get to it, was introduced as the final episode of the Transformers. Of course, it wasn't the final episode. Um, there was hopefully, qu- it won't be the final episode of this podcast either. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's go through and see where we end up. <laughs> exactly. Yes, there's quite a few more to come. So, yeah, so it, uh, it starts off um, with one of the, I think, one of the, uh, an incredibly successful and brilliant title sequence. Uh, yeah, what do, what do you think of the titles? Um, they're not my, they're not actually my favorite Transformers titles, but they are iconic. Um, they do sit very nicely in the pantheon of iconic eighties cartoon titles themes. Cause a lot, a lot of the eighties cartoons, they go quite far over the top with, uh, saying how brilliant everything is. Um, but this just presents it, you know, you get your key basic facts. Yeah. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticon. So right from the start, you know, who's on which side. There's no ambiguity, no confusion, no no shades of grey. It's good versus evil right from the outset. Exactly. Although I do feel that lyric is kind of like that was the least worst lyric that fitted into the uh, in, in with the song because <laughs> it it just sort of like yeah da 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 yeah okay let's do that. I I think something we'll come back to is is whether they're making a huge effort with this, and I think they are making huge effort with this. I think the song is. I, somebody's put a bit of love into that song. Somebody's done a proper job. Uh, you know, it's quite a, quite a, quite a thick orchestration. And yeah, yeah, it just it hits you. It punch, like as a kid, you, you're going to be capt- you're going to be drawn in, captivated straight away. Cool. Uh, so then we're straight into episode one of the Transformers, which I think is I, it's it's very atmospheric, isn't it? So we get a, a, a an exciting voiceover filling us in on the background. Um, what did you think about that? Victor Carolla, his name is, and his his voice is just it's 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 there. It's great. I think he he has one of those voices where really being a voiceover artist is one of the things you're born to do because you recognise that voice, and he puts so much feeling into the words as well. I mean, I remember distinctly. I'm jumping ahead quite a bit. The the opening narration of the Transformers the movie. You know, there's an evil new force in the universe. A monster planet. <laughs> oh, good grief! <laughs> so, <laughs> and the picture, the weird atmospheric sounds, which sounds like a contradiction in terms because atmospheric sounds in space, 
Hmm. Those weird distortion sounds that they that go on whenever they have a scene with, in outer space. Uh, like of all the things that we worry about, we're going to have to not worry about there being sound in space. We're going to have um, to not worry about an awful lot of things. <laughs> it's a kid's <laughs> cartoon. You, know, you can't go too much. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I th- well, I, I think it's worth uh, mentioning these things, but realizing also that we're not going to get to the bottom of them. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely like, right. What kind of atmosphere is Cybertron likely to have? Uh, it's not, because, <laughs> because the size of Cybertron, based on the pictures that we see of it, it's tiny. <laughs> it's a tiny little thing. It won't have an atmosphere at all. It certainly won't have one that will support humans, even though it clearly does in later episodes. So, you know, but Cybertron, while we're talking about Cybertron, what a fantastic picture, that planet, instantly recognisable. Yeah, it's it's superb. It's a really uh, it's such a great sci-fi planet, and it's not like it's not obvious. It's not obviously copied from anything, um, but but I, I can't think of anything like Cybertron in in any kind of previous you know a whole metal world with robots living on it. Um, it seems kind of obvious, but at the same time, it's it's not really something you see see anywhere else. No, it's it's pretty unique, I think. Um, there was, of course, one other cartoon series that did a metal planet, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we find out that many millions of years ago on the planet of Cybertron, life existed, not as we know it. Yeah, there's your first Star Trek reference. <laughs> uh, intelligent robots that could think and feel called Autobots and Decepticons. And then we launched straight into pejorative language, telling us that the Decepticons were brutal driven by a single goal of total domination and the Autobots are peace loving and battling valiantly to survive. I mean, the, the opening song already said the Decepticons are evil, but yeah, they, they, they do lay it on a bit thick. Like these are the good guys. These are the good guys root for these ones. We don't like those ones. We don't like them, but of course we're kids. We love the bad guys because they're much more fun. Yes, they are. They, uh, and that becomes very clear, very quickly that there are going to be a lot of kids who are totally going to side with the Decepticons. Um, did you, uh, oh, which, who did you side with, Jason? Who did I side? Well, I, you know, I sided with the Autobots because they were clearly on the side of good and right and justice. But the Decepticons were great. My favourite characters were all Decepticons. Cybertron sequences raise an interesting question for me which is the Transformers, the concept of the Transformers, as we're told in the opening narration, opening sequence, is robots in disguise. And when they're on Earth and disguising themselves as cars and planes, that makes perfect sense. But what are they disguising themselves as on Cybertron when there's no one else there apart from other Transformers? Uh, I pass. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to pass on that. Um... Only one of them appears to be in disguise, and that's Soundwave, who appears to have a disguise that looks like some kind of weird lamppost thing. <laughs> yeah, I, he's the only one, and they're, they're also all cars that obviously smaller people uh, can drive. So that's that's all very strange, but but I will say that it is also incredibly cool. So the first thing we see, uh, we see the uh, Wheeljack and Bumblebee. A uh, Wheeljack coming out of a grate, and they've got they've got these they've got these little golden rods, these little conductors they've collected. I like that it's got a real kind of underground resistance kind of feel to it. The the Autobots really feel kind of besieged, and they're you know sneaking around doing sneaky missions. Yes, that that uh, that does add a bit to it. Um, I think when they say things like you know 
the war has been raging for years and years and years. If they were constantly shooting each other in the streets all the time, you think, how has this war been going on that long? You know, just, but now they're really kind of sneaking around, and it's uh, it's quite it's quite interesting. Did you spot, incidentally, another slight tangent? Did you spot the Doctor Who sound effects LP <laughs> moment? Ah, uh, no, I didn't for this one. Uh, no. Which one was this? Wheeljack's rear door opens to the sound of the sonic screwdriver. Oh, okay. Um, and closes. So yes, I, I I watched this episode three times in preparation for this, and now I'm going to have to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Uh, um, and the reason I have to watch it three times is because it packs so much in. The pace is absolutely furious. Um, so yeah, Cybertron looks incredible. We've got uh, Wheeljack turned I, again. I love, love, love the the alt modes that we have for them here. Uh, you got Wheeljack turning into a, a funky hovercraft, uh, and Bumblebee turning into a fried egg, and they look absolutely fantastic. Uh, what cool vehicles! The Seeker jets look amazing. Their sort of weird tetrahedral design that they have when they transform looks great. Uh, there was an artistic decision taken not to give them any alternative robot modes so it does look a bit weird when they have the recognizable parts of the earth vehicles on their robot modes like the seeker jets having the uh pilot canopies and you know various other bits but yeah i mean i i loved it right from the start when i saw it i loved those alternative modes and i was really miffed that we never got any toys of them that really captured my imagination um and I think I probably watched the first 10 minutes of Arrival from Cybertron like more times than the rest of the video, just because it's got those exciting Cybertron bits. So when I so Bumblebee and Wheeljack come under attack very quickly, uh, Wheeljack deploys his space sunglasses. Um, not sure how that's supposed to help. He's also got two uh, little chopper blades on the front of his car, which also are of no discernible help whatsoever. And we see we've got like... Uh, they, these it's not Skywarp, Thundercracker, and Starscream as you'd expect. It's some other guys. Did you spot these other guys? I, I did. Yes, the first shot we see of the of the three Seeker Jet Transformers, uh, they are Starscream, Thundercracker, and Skywarp in that brief shot. And then we see other ones later on. There's a green one, a purple one, and a yellow one, I think. And I understand from TF Wiki, although I've never got too much into it that they have since retrospectively been given names and character bios and things and they they were in it for approximately three seconds and they said nothing but somebody has decided that they needed to be characters in their own right but there we go and then they get trapped in a burning ring of fire uh, with almost no way out um how do they escape jason uh, Wheeljack turns on his weird little chopper blade things and just drives through the fire because you've got to wonder what is fire going to do to a bunch of big metallic robots? Yeah, all, all of their weapons are generally pretty ineffective against each other. You've got to, you've got to let them off. It's dramatic. That's the main thing. It, it's dramatic. But yes, they do escape. They drive through. Bumblebee, although having clearly a hover car type alternative mode, gets shot and a wheel goes flying off and he talks about being hit in his rear axle. It, well, it's exactly like they would do it as a toy um, because, you know, they say it's a, it's a, you get a toy hovercraft. Whenever you get a toy hovercraft as a kid, it's always got wheels underneath. Oh, yeah. It's never uh, uh, just a solid thing like a proper hovercraft. Um, so I think that's fair enough, actually. Um, yeah, and then they head back. They head back one mega mile, and they return to Iacon, and this is where they meet uh, Poor Soundwave, 
who has been standing outside Iacon for God knows how many years. Um, <laughs> uh, and this, you know, this war's been going on for millions of years. He could have been there for 10,000 years disguised as a lamppost. He could have been. That could have been his whole job, standing there looking like a lamppost. And nobody spotted him and said, nobody went, who put that lamppost there? Soundwave was my absolute favourite uh, when I was a kid. And to be honest, he still is, um, partly because of that amazing voice. Soundwave's voice stands out among all the other Transformers, um, just the way it was done with, I presume it was done with a vocoder in much the same way as a lot of other things, but uh, it's so amazing. And I never had Soundwave when I was a kid. I wanted Soundwave and I never got him. I now have Soundwave. I don't have any other Transformers apart from Soundwave and the cassettes, but I have Soundwave. Hey, so uh, did that set you back a fair a fair few bob? It was a fair few bob, but it was it was a reissue, a re- so it wasn't you know not like I forked out for an original generation one Soundwave in the box with all the other bits and bobs, which would have set me back ludicrous amounts. But Soundwave's voice was the thing that captured my uh, my imagination every time I heard it. And I was very disappointed when they did the Michael Bay Transformers movies, and he didn't speak with that voice. And then they did the opening scene in the Bumblebee movie. And he did, and I was going, oh! <laughs> Which was weird, because I was on a plane at the time, so I got a oh. few funny looks. <laughs> cool. Yes, he does have the coolest voice in the universe. And uh, and he's got a space laser beak with a sort of, like, circular wings kind of thing going on. We cut to what laser beak's spying on. Uh, and that is uh, our first sight of the uh, of some, some famous, excellent Autobots. Yeah, so Optimus Prime, does he impress from the very beginning. I don't know that he does, to be honest. I think at the beginning, it's like he's the leader because we're told he is. Um, But I don't think he has much to do that really makes him stand out as the leader in this episode. Later episodes, of course, he absolutely would. And he looks brilliant. The red and blue colour scheme is fantastic. And Peter Cullen's voice work with Optimus Prime is absolutely superb. Yeah, Um, can't be beat. Yeah. I remain convinced that one of the major reasons for the success of the Michael Bay Transformers movie was that they got Peter Cullen back doing Optimus Prime's voice, which is not to say that anyone else who's ever done Optimus Prime is utter crap or anything like that, but Peter Cullen is just iconic as Optimus Prime. Also, we he, he comes across uh, as a bit more of a strategic planner, and somebody, mm. and that's what that's what a leader should be do. They should be looking ahead. Uh, things that other people can't see and saying, ah, there's no energy on Cybertron. We must look further afield for energy, otherwise this war's going on, going to go on forever. It's, he gets a much better introduction than Shockwave, though. Uh, <laughs> so we cut to the Decepticon base, uh, and uh, Megatron uh, receives data about the plan, and uh, he calls off to his uh, l- lieutenant, uh, Shockwave, who... Uh, where do we find Shockwave? Shockwave is standing on a platform, being a gun, not apparently pointing at anything in particular, so we're not entirely sure what his purpose is. Maybe he's looking out in case anyone tries to break in and he's going to shoot them down. And he just transforms and salutes and says, Fear not, Megatron. Cybertron will remain as you leave it. And we will come back to that line in a few episodes' time. <laughs> he also gives us... Um, Shockwave also gives us the first example of um, what I think has now become known as the subspace mass issue when his 
the end of his barrel when he transforms just sort of flies off screen somewhere and disappears. Ah, yes. So, uh, okay, so we've, we've come across this very early then. So how do you think it works? Uh, I think it works because the guy drawing the animations makes it happen that way. That's, <laughs> that's the very literal interpretation. Mm. Um, but apparently the idea is there's some kind of subspace pocket dimension that bits of Transformers can disappear into. Uh, Optimus Prime's trailer being the obvious example. Um, there, there are severe issues with that, though, because if you can do that casually while transforming... Uh, there's much more uh, violent and destructive uses of that technology that you could deploy. Um, but anyway, so Shock, we, we meet Shockwave. So he's he's like, if you bought Shockwave and uh, put him on a shelf at home, uh, that's pretty much how you'd find him in this episode. Uh, so he's very much a, another one who's following the toy ethic. Um, Interestingly, Shockwave was never released in the original toy line in the UK. Yeah, we missed out. Um, we we in the very first episode we get we got toys of most of the characters from this first series, but there were a couple that we didn't get in back in when when it was on in the nineteen eighties, and Shockwave was one of them, and that's a shame because I rather like Shockwave as well, and I would have loved to have had a Shockwave. Also, the ones we didn't get seemed to be the absolute coolest ones. Oh yeah, uh, you know, I, I I could have done without Dirge and Ramjet if we had Shockwave. Um, you know, you, you didn't need quite so many Autobot minibots, perhaps. From the first round, we're missing Shockwave, but more heinously, or heinously, however you want to pronounce it, we are also missing the Constructicons. We didn't <laughs> get the Constructicons in the UK. We didn't get the first Combiner team in the UK in the 1980s. We didn't get Devastator. That's a shame because he's the coolest Combiner, the first and the best. Well, uh, when we get to it, I'll tell you about how you could have got Devastator as a kid. Um, so we meet uh, Megatron, leader of the Decepticons, uh, pretty much the same as Prime. He's, he's got exactly the same plan as Prime. Uh, go off and find, um, uh, basically, stealing Prime's plan. Uh, and then you've got also my favourite character in the whole of Transformers, who is obviously Starscream, um, who is uh, just like, I think so many of us want to be Megatron. So many of us are actually Starscream. <laughs> what a delight it is to hear him say things. So he says, the Autobots would have lost eons ago if I had been calling the shots. Uh, you know, what bravado. He, he's never going to be in charge, but he never, ever gives up. And I love him for it. I love him. The Megatron Starscream constant bickering, arguing is is one of the defining features of the series. Um the first couple of seasons it's always there and uh, it's brilliant and the voices again the voice work that's another one of the things about transformers the voice work is absolutely superb megatron's voice is brilliant um the the modulation that they use for frank welker who voiceover legend frank welker who has been in so many things that it takes ages to read his imdb profile because you just keep scrolling and keep scrolling and keep scrolling <laughs> and he's done megatron and all sorts of things he did uh he among among his credits are um, Spock's screams in the search for Spock. So it's none of the actors on the screen doing all that screaming that you hear. It's actually Frank Welker just coming in to scream into a microphone for a bit and get paid for it. And rather more bizarrely, he's Nibbler in Futurama. <laughs> I can now. Yes, I can picture that now. 
So now we're straight off onto the arc looking for energy. Um, and we get some really a really nice bit of animation when uh, when you see the rockets firing. You get a nice bit of heat haze and a bit of, um, mm. sort of phasing in the distance. It's fantastic. Um, and then you look and the Decepticons, the Decepticons have built their rocket about 100 metres away. Rather more bizarrely, they just had these rockets handy that can take them to other planets. and just Yeah, we don't know much about their space travel capabilities. It, it sounds very much like this is the first time they've left their planet. It does. But they obviously haven't got the same people building them because they're completely different designs. The Autobots have a nice yellow spaceship, the Decepticons have a nice purple spaceship, and they're straight into space. What happens to them in space? Do they, does it all go well? It doesn't go well at all. Randomly, two large asteroids happen to collide right in front of them. Um, and then they fight their way through. The Decepticons follow. They board the Autobot ship. There's a big fight. And they completely fail to look where they're going. And they crash into a very familiar blue-green planet, which is remarkably close, given that only about half a minute seems to elapse between them taking off from Cybertron and crashing on Earth. Yes. Um, well, timescales are very odd in Transformers. Uh, they could have been flying for millions of years or five minutes. It's not really clear. I just want to, uh, So there's several odd bits that uh, are well documented in the attack. But I do want to pick up on uh, your favourite Soundwave, who seems to actually be the only one who beats up all of the Autobots. <laughs> So he, he, in one scene, he beats up three Autobots single-handedly. In the next scene, he's uh, he's uh, smashing Ratchet in the face. But uh, yes, seeing as, seeing as time's passing very quickly. So we've landed on Earth, and, and we're now four minutes into the episode, and four million years have passed. 2001, eat your freaking heart out. We are moving along at a real place here. <laughs> Bizarre thing is, with that, four million years have gone by. And the visual of the arc sticking out of the bottom of that volcano is really, really good. It looks it looks great. Didn't anyone spot this thing sticking out of a volcano? In, I mean, obviously, humans weren't around four million years previously. But, you know, by this time, it's apparently the 1980s by the time they're revived. No one spotted that spaceship at the bottom of a volcano? I think the, the intention might have been that it was covered up and then the volcano blows and comes uncovered again. Uh, and the little satellite goes out, explore, explore, repair, repair, saying what it's going to do is it does it quite irritatingly. It, unfortunately, it's the Decepticons who get revised, revived first, which is just, ah, what is it thinking? And rather conveniently, it found suitable forms for everybody. First thing it found was a jet, and it just so happened the first one to be fixed was, I think, Skywarp. Perfect. Yeah, uh, I, Skywarp, uh, Skywarp is very, very loving and tender towards Megatron and pulls him in front of the, oh, my leader, calm my leader and come into this reviving ray. Uh, so Megatron gets revived and then uh, they they revive them all, even Reflector. You know, um, I probably wouldn't have bothered with Reflector necessarily, uh, but, they, you know, you've you got to get the gang together. Uh, and Megatron... Like a good leader, states his mission plan straight up. Uh, gather resources, build ultimate weapon, conquer universe. Very straightforward. I, I don't think... Uh, get, uh, any flaws with that? Do you think that, that's going to work as a plan? Well, it sounds like a fairly straightforward plan. Um, and we probably might even have worked, unless if Starscream hadn't just randomly shot at the spaceship and randomly jolted Optimus Prime into the path of the uh, <laughs> of the repairing laser and brought all the Autobots back to life as well. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and this is where the first example we see where Optimus Prime is definitely a good guy because he says thanks. 
Yes. Not the Decepticon say thanks, but he puts his thumbs up and says thanks. They're straight on to their mission. Um, they've got... Uh, what, what, hang on, what are they building to start they with? Need, they need to build a spaceship so they can go back to Cybertron because their ship, the Decepticon ship, crashed as well and they don't know where it is. It's scattered to the four winds if it ever crashed in on Earth, if it even landed there. Uh, they need a, they need, to, and then they need to find energy to power the ship and to power Cybertron. And there's lots of energy sources. And Soundwave says we can concentrate it into energon cubes. Yeah, actually, Megatron does nothing, and he tasks Starscream with finding materials. Uh, I don't think I, I don't think Megatron's really contributing anything at this point, apart from pointing and telling people what to do. Uh, but then he's the bad leader, isn't he? He Optimus Prime is the good leader who strategizes things ahead and thinks of his men. And Megatron is the bad lead who just goes, right, you, do that thing that I say. And I don't care how you do it, just do it right. Yeah, I yeah, that's pretty much how I am at work. Um... <laughs> See, if you, had a, if you had a cannon on your arm, you'd probably get a lot more done. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this is where I'm going wrong, obviously. I wonder if I can get one. Uh, no, okay. Um, <laughs> So uh, the Autobots send out uh, a couple of new guys, uh, so uh, introducing two more characters, as if there wasn't enough already, uh, to locate the Decepticons. They send out Hound and Cliffjumper, uh, who are, yeah, I, I like Hound and Cliff. Hound has got also got an excellent voice, very distinctive. Uh, and this is also, in a way, he's one of the standout characters from the first three episodes, because um, not only does he have this mission, he also forms a relationship with uh, with one of the humans we'll see coming up. We also we were introduced to one other character before then as well in the Decepticon ranks, which was Rumble. Of course, yes. Good old Rumble, who could turn his arms into pile drivers. There's so many sycophants in the Decepticon ranks. Rumble says that uh, so Starscream wants to be the leader. Rumble says that Megatron is strong, and Starscream says that he will find a way. Everyone has a weakness. Um, Starscream does eventually find Megatron's weakness and I think it's being killed by Optimus Prime. So Hound and Cliffjumper are spying on Megatron and somehow Cliffjumper has brought a gun that is five times the size of him for his spying mission. (laughs) Hound's like, where were you hiding that? Same place Optimus Prime hides his trailer, maybe. This is what you're saying about the usage <laughs> of that technology. You just pull a weapon out of subspace. <laughs> this is another thing I didn't get about that fight on the ship, by the way. The, the fact that they were all beating each other up in hand-to-hand combat. And it's like, you've got guns. You've all got guns. Starscream has guns on his arm. Megatron has a cannon on his arm. And they're just punching each other. Like, what are you doing? Jason, don't you know anything? They're on a spaceship. If they use their guns, they might puncture the windows and all the air go out. They're robots. What air? <laughs> <laughs> so Cliff Jumper's got Megatron in his sights and he misses. What a letdown. I mean, like, the whole show could have been over. Uh, the last 40 years of Transformers history could have been so much shorter if Cliff Jumper could hit the side of a barn door. Or if he fired again. <laughs> oh, I missed. Never mind. Um, what shall I do now while they're talking about who's firing at us and Soundwave is launching laser beak at us? And shall I fire again? No, let's just run away. <laughs> uh, they, it seems they've never seen laser beak before, and he's also got the, the ability to split off a flying gun again, which is great for the toy because you can take the guns off the toy, can't you? 
So you can have the little guns chasing him flying through the air. And yeah, yeah. So this is a nice little chase sequence, I think. Um, and Hound uh, makes Transformers history is the first Autobot to fall off a cliff. <laughs> Which is ironic, given that he was with Cliff Jumper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cliff Jumper would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's how you got the name. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he, he falls off. Uh, many, many Autobots will fall off cliffs, uh, as we'll see uh, over the coming years. Does cliff jump? Does cliff mean something else on Cybertron? Because Cybertron doesn't appear to have any cliffs. So why would you call somebody cliff jumper on a planet devoid of cliffs? So yeah, so uh, Ratchet turns up with it, and his Medibay makes a brief appearance. I love his Medibay. That was one I, again. Had that toy. Love the Medibay. Um, ah. And then it's gone, so never mind. Bit sad, sad face, no medibay. Uh, and that's that for that. So then we get uh, the Reflector Brothers. Uh, do you like these guys? I think they're quite fun. Um, we get, uh, with the Reflector, of course, we see, I think, the first example of a shrinking Transformer because they turn from three decently sized robots. They're not huge robots, but they're decently sized robots standing next to Thundercracker and they shrink into a camera that fits into his hand. Why does a robot need a camera to look at a vehicle going past? Who knows? Um, He's just trying to make Reflector feel useful. Yeah, I think that's probably what you need, really, isn't it? You know, and you um, can print, you, you can print to Polaroid as well. Yeah, height of height of technology there, printing yeah. Polaroids. Do you think? Do you think when they were leaving the Ark? Do you think like um, Megatron said, oh, "Okay, let's transform and get out of here," and uh, Starscream and and all that like, fly off? And uh, Soundwave, Megatron, Reflector, transform, get ready to fly off and just clatter to the floor. (laughs) Uh, We've got uh, Soundwave again. Uh, His forehead lights up when he presses a button. Good man. Um, We've got uh, our our first humans. Yep. 16 minutes and 25 seconds into the episode, a human finally appears. (laughs) (laughs) Human finally appears. And... uh, and, and they've got the distinctive yellow boots, um, helmets and gloves that all humans wear in the Transformers universe. Even wearing hard hats when they're driving. That's taking seriously the uh, the safety aspects of driving vehicles, I think. Uh, well, PPE is very important. and They obviously all buy it from the same place. Uh, well, they get attacked by Ravage. Again, uh, another... Inc- oh, oh, God, how many... Are we- this is like our 40th Transformer now. Uh <laughs> And then we get, like, just when you think you've seen enough Transformers, <laughs> Chaz does a roll call of all the Autobot cars. Suddenly, we suddenly get Mirage, Sunstreaker and Sideswipe in the mix, which we'd not, who we'd not seen before, and suddenly there they are. Um, obviously, there's Wheeljack, Bumblebee, Cliff Jumper. Um, yep. Uh, Mirage, uh, Sideswipe, uh, Trailbreaker. Trailbreaker, of course. And uh, they found out the Decepticons attacking an oil rig. And they, the oil rig workers, again, yellow gloves, hats, boots. We meet two, two more two more characters, Jason. Two Love more. Uh, Spike and Dad. Indeed. Who goes by the name of Sparkplug, because obviously that's what you would call somebody who works on an oil rig. I was listening out for this very carefully. In this episode, he's only called Dad. It's not until next episode that he gets that name. Why is, why is Spike doing on an oil rig? He's a bit young to be on an oil rig, isn't he? 
Uh, yeah, it's obviously bring your kid to work day on an oil rig. Uh, that's not very safe. Um, but he seems well experienced because they're asking him to get stuff for them and, and do work. But um, Spike obviously is a bit of a wonder because he's able to uh, to have a, a fairly even fight with Rumble, who's made out of metal. Um, early instalment weirdness in this particular episode because the Autobots can fly in robot mode. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, they haven't got any boat transformers, so how else are they going to get there? So that's cool. So they, they can fly. Yep, sure, whatever. I'll go with it. And, and we see our Energon cubes for the first time. What And that's a really lovely, lovely Energon cubes. Uh, you fill them with oil, they go brown, you press them down, and they turn into sweets, basically. <laughs> uh, like fizzy dip, uh, sherbet dip dabs. Uh, they look delicious they should have they should have sold energon sweets they should have done they really should and they should and they could still now there's a big punch up on the rig uh wheeljack was fighting rumble and they're standing and shooting each other about two inches away from each other under no cover uh got starscream taking on ironhide jazz and prowl versus scarlet and reflector uh and then megatron's had enough of that very quickly and uh, he just destroys the whole oil rig with, uh, with a couple of shots it does indeed, which raises a few questions for me. <laughs> okay, here we go. Well, the first question is, the Autobots can fly. We saw them fly. That's how they got to the org in the first place. So why don't any of them fly off it rather than just falling into the sea? Secondly, they're huge robots. Why do they float? Especially given that later on, we'll see them just strolling underwater casually and walking across the bottom of the sea rather than actually floating. And these guys are floating in the water like they're drowning humans. <laughs> they're massive robots. But here is where we find out that the Autobots are genuinely good because the humans, or at least the two speaking humans, uh, cry out for help and Optimus Prime immediately goes to try and rescue them. So now we know he's the good guy because he's trying to help people, even though he's never met them before. And really, probably, they're just going to get in the way. <laughs> but he decides he wants to save them. And that's it. We're then into the cliffhanger of this dramatic episode of the Transformers. I okay, right. So two 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 more things before we wrap up. Firstly, um again, it would be a very different series if Prime just shot the humans and then chased <laughs> Megatron. Uh and secondly, do the Transformers even know what water is? They must presumably they do, because in a later episode, Huffer says he hates fire and water. Yep. Um, and even on one episode, there's rain on Cybertron. Even though there's no apparent evident body of water on Cybertron at all. <laughs> uh, yes, and then we get a very exciting prelude to next week's episode featuring the ruby crystals of Burma. Looks great. So, Jason, I'm going to nominate a man of the match. Um, a clear person who just contributes more to the team than anyone else. Uh, and I think in the first episode of the Transformers, more than meets the eye, arrival from Cybertron, I'm going to say it's Soundwave. And I'm going to agree with you on that entirely. So uh, uh, he does so much. He does so much. He uh, he finds out the Autobots plan, beats up four of them. He invents the Energon Cube uh, and many other things. Anything else you think he does in this episode? Uh, not in this episode specifically, but yeah, he... Uh... He's the one. It's, it's, it's a rather interesting situation with the Energon cubes in that they seem to be his idea and he's the one who generates them out of his chest, which is 
one raises the question of what are you going to do when he's not there? Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> yeah, really, well, maybe Starscream generates like oval shaped energon cubes out of his chest. He's got sort of, uh, maybe not. Cool. Are you up for a double bill, Jason, or are you nearly dead? I am up for a double bill. Let's carry on. Why not? Anyway, uh, so I promised a double bill, and double bill it shall be. So, episode two of The Transformers, More Than Meets the Eye, Arrival from Cybertron. Uh, and we get a, another another voiceover opening, which I'm going to read off very quickly here. In search of precious energy, the Autobots venture forth out into space, but the Decepticons attack them four million years later. The Autobots and Decepticons are reactivated. The Decepticons convert all into energon cubes and leave workers in their Autobot rescues trapped, which, like, is slightly quicker than the 50 minutes we took to go over the episode. <laughs> well, it crammed so much in, so many new characters. I mean, there are still more new characters to come. We'll get it. We'll get to them. But uh, oh, yeah. well, there's one straight from the start. Someone who we've never seen. Well, there are two new characters right at the beginning. Then Brawn and Huffer suddenly appear out of nowhere. They're cute. Uh, Brawn, I think, doesn't have a proper face in the toy version. No, he doesn't. In fact, he's one of the ones who does look completely, completely different. Huffer's a bit closer, I think. So that's fine. So Huffer's arm is stuck. Oh, oh, actually, they turn up and they don't really show off a very good impression. So with Huffer, his arm is stuck. Braun rescues him. Huffer hates fire and water. I'm I'm not impressed with these two guys, to be honest. Uh, And then we get Trailbreaker, who we may have seen before, uh, who's got a force shield. Yes, this is the episode where we start to see the unique abilities of several of the transformers isn't it we trailbreaker with his force field and later we get uh, hounds holograms and mirage's ability to go invisible and despite being trapped of course prime says ah you two do this trailbreaker use your force field oh will jack do something else and they put the fire out in about three seconds because because trailbreaker has a force field which is quite good at holding back the fire will jack has a fire extinguisher <laughs> Which is just like, maybe you should have asked Wheeljack first. Uh, again, just like, you're just like being nice to Trailbreaker, aren't you? Again, this is another, another Transformers ability, the retracting hands. The hand that disappears and is replaced with a very useful tool, like a fire extinguisher. Or in Jazz's case, uh, a grapple line. Even even on the modern masterpiece, hundred pound transformers, uh, they still have not worked out a way for the hand to retract in and something else to come out. It's still you take the hand off, we you rotate the hand. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just beyond uh, their physical ability. So, Jazz rescues Optimus Prime with his hook hand, and Optimus Prime rescues Spike and his dad, and that's that's very nice. That's very nice. But I do have one question. Okay. That oil rig had a full crew of humans that fell into the sea. Where the bloody hell did they all go? <laughs> uh, Optimus killed them all. Um, <laughs> it's like, well, we've saved Spark Club and Spike. What about the others? Ah, they're all dead. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the uh, maybe the yellow uh, hat, boots, and gloves uh, inflate and turn into little mini life rafts. They're <laughs> floating around with these massive hands and boots um, in the so. sea. Uh, so and then optimus prime uh, gives the backstory again uh because uh spike and his dad uh kind of want a bit of 
backstory and, and Spike's very excited. He's immediately aroused at the thought of them being from another planet. Uh, you can see his eyes light up. Wouldn't you? If Optimus Prime suddenly appeared in front of you and introduced himself? I yeah no that would be very exciting and but actually would be terrifying as well. Yes, they do take these giant robots rather in their stride, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they've got such cool voices. And Prime's eyes light up uh, when he says "your world," and we get that a couple of times this episode. I don't think it happens very often in any other episode that their eyes light up when they say certain words. The Autobots are the only ones who can stop the Decepticons. Jason, how do you rate our chances? <laughs> well, I have a few things to say by the time we get to the end of this trilogy, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> but I think it's fun that, you know, Sparkplug and Spike are like, oh, we can help you. And they, what they don't say is, because you've just blown up our jobs. Um, you know, Where does Spike and Sparkplug live? Because after this, we just see them with the Transformers all the time. We never have any indication that they had a house or, you know, where are they getting their food from? Yeah. You know, it's all, it's all sorts of weird things that we're not supposed to think about. But they are cool because they get to hang out with the Transformers. And don't they have any other friends? Does, does Sparkplug have a wife? Presumably. Possibly. It's all very masculine. Uh, it's all boys and men and guys. Uh, uh, so, uh, but the reason why they can help the Autobots is because Sp uh, Spike and I know more about Earth than you do. So we cut to Spike filling in his diary. That's a weird one. He said, oh, the, the Transformers, are, I don't know if they're from the past or the future. No, they're from another planet. They just told you that. <laughs> what, what, um, what's past future stuff? <laughs> yeah, I think anyone uh, trying to piece together the history of the Transformers from Spike's diary is going to have quite a lot of uh, errors and uh, omissions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Spike also immediately betrays the Transformers that he's just met and has promised to help by uh, transporting Soundwave right into their base. The most extreme example of mass shifting we've seen so far. Soundwave goes from a giant robot to a small cassette recorder that Spike can pick up and carry. Yeah, yeah. So, so as a robot, presumably he weighs several tons. As a cassette recorder, he weighs several grams. Think about how cool he looks and how cool his voice is. Always think about how cool he looks and how cool his voice is. And wonder, how what do the cassette transformers do when they're sitting in his chest cavity? And he can apparently he can carry several of them. So he's either very he's either completely hollow or he's got some kind of weird dimensional pocket inside him as well. Because it's I think late, later on at one point he ejects rumble, ravage, laser beak. <laughs> All these just keep coming out of him. So what the, what? They're, they're all sitting in there, all bunched up and sweaty. Everybody wanting to be the one that's first out. So Trailbreaker and Mirage are very indulgent towards Spike. Uh, you know, I, he asks them, why do you transform? Well, because it's a disguise and it beats walking. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and then it's, how do you transform? Um, and so they get a uh, hound to show him how they transform. Uh, and I've got that here. So uh, it's, Hound says, easy, hold the rear of the vehicle and pull the front end out. Push the <laughs> rear body back. Fold the rear seats down toward the front of the vehicle. Rotate arms down. Apply labels as shown. Uh, that's how Hound... I looked that up. That is how Hound transforms. That is how Hound transforms. <laughs> this, this, this disguise business raises another thing. 
but he, again, as a kid, it went completely over my head. But watching it now, I'm thinking it's a disguise. You transform from a robot into a big Jeep. Fantastic. With a whacking great Autobot symbol on the bonnet. And all the Decepticons have Decepticon logos on them. So it's like, we're, we're in disguise, but we're going to show exactly who we are with a big badge. <laughs> and there's one episode, I think it's way, way, way up in series three, I think, where they're looking for the Decepticons in an airfield. And, they, I, and you, where are they? Where are they? And I'm looking at the screen going, it's those two there with the Decepticon logos on the nose cone. It's, they're right there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, they, they address these in the toys slightly because you have the rub badges. So you didn't know until you rubbed it. I, I mean, usually they'd have another badge next to it. Oh, yeah. They always had a, a, a big stick, quite a big one. There was always one big logo and yeah. a load of little ones that went elsewhere as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, rule of cool. Rule of cool, absolutely. And those rub signs on the toys were fantastic. So we've got... Uh... Mirage showing off his invisibility, which is the best disguise of all. Yeah, who needs to transform when you can just turn yourself invisible? I mean, you know. It's just... uh, okay, no, I'm going to get you on this one as well. I'm going to get you on this one because it takes up a lot of energy. That's why. Yes, that, that, that I can believe. That I can believe. Good, I got you. I got you on one. Excellent. You got me. You got me on that one. Yes, yeah. it needs a lot more energy than just sitting around as a car. Uh, and uh, things continue to get a bit dodgy as uh, Hound offers Spike the ride of his life. Uh, and you actually see some gorgeous shots of them going over. Actually, again, brilliant animation, them going over the dunes and uh, riding into the sunset together. The animation on these episodes, I mean, throughout the series, the animation varies in quality yeah. quite dramatically. Um, and... Every episode page on TF Wiki has a whole list of animation errors because they make colouring errors and layering errors and the wrong character's mouth moves when they speak and there's all sorts of errors creeping into it. But when you compare it to other series from other um, providers like Filmation in particular, you realise how much animation is done from scratch on all these episodes. I mean, sure, there are some reused um backgrounds and there are some reused shots you'll see the same shot every so often but when you compare that to an episode of filmation where about anything up to 50 percent of the episode was basically the same rotoscoped footage over and over and over again and always the same unique transformation sequence if anything had to change and you realize that in these transformers episodes they don't always have the same transformations it's not like you always see optimus prime transform the same way and you always see Soundwave transform the same way. They get reused occasionally, yeah. uh, but there's an awful lot of fresh animation in all these episodes, and they're really dynamic as well. Yeah, and it, it would have been the success it was if it hadn't been that well animated, if it hadn't been that exciting. Yeah. Um, I recently, so a lot of old cartoons from when I was a kid have turned up again on the streaming channels, including Disney Plus. Mm. And, and I thought, okay, well, let's check out some of these ones that I remember from years ago. And one of the ones I watched was uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 in Droids. Um, uh, oh, God, Transformers is good. It's so good. Because <laughs> Droids was just, uh, it was intolerable. It was unwatchable. It was awful. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I, like, I, I mean, I, I'm in my 40s. Um, I'm watching Transformers. I am enjoying it. Uh, 
you know, in, in a sort of like childlike kind of way. But um, yeah, there are some that are just, just like, no, you can't watch that as an adult. Um, mm. Yeah. And this, I found the same thing when I've watched some of the old cartoons. Some of them hold up a lot better than others. Um, and one of the things I remember watching quite a while ago now, I watched Thundercats again. And I found that a real chore to get through. Okay. Not because of the animation, which was superb. The animation on it was brilliant. But the dialogue delivery was so stilted and over-dramatized and just not even slightly naturalistic at all. And, you know, watching this, I mean, yeah, it's, the dialogue is a bit cliched in places and there's a lot of silly things being said in several cases. But the way they do it, something about it sounds right. It doesn't sound like people reading dialogue in a in a script. It sounds like characters interacting with each other. I, I think I think they've got some of the best. They've got some of the best animation voice actors that you can get. Oh, definitely. Anyway, so we got Ravage jumps into into the cassette uh, slot on Teletran One and acquires knowledge of Earth's resources. Good old Ravage, uh, cat or dog? Ah, uh, it's a cat. Okay, I. I, I think he's at the or or she is at the absolute sweet spot between cat and dog because I can see it as both all the time, <laughs> and I'm finding I find it increasingly weird to think about it. Um, so I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we got Hound. He likes he likes Earth. He likes Spike, uh, and uh, he points out. Uh, Spike asks the important question: What was Cybertron like before the war? What do you think it was like before the war? <laughs> Quiet and peaceful, apparently. Oh, okay, yeah. But that's an interesting one. That war's been going on for a long time, and yet these Transformers remember it. So how old are they? <sighs> yes. Why are... Uh, oh, we get a bit later. Uh, Optimus Prime uh, accuses Megatron of being old. But mm. surely they're all they're all four million plus. It's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, and Spike finds Ravage in the cassette deck uh, and sounds the alarm. I don't, but Spike's very useful again because he survives being attacked by Soundwave and Ravage. He's, he's, he's quite a tough cookie. Indeed, the TF Wiki page again has entries for superhuman Spike, the occasions <laughs> when if you or I had taken it on, we'd end up as a bloody pulp. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets out okay. <laughs> At least he had to jump up to hit the alarm button. There wasn't one handily at human size, human level. Yeah. Um, oh, some of the Transformers are quite small, so it's probably where anyone can reach it. You know, they're very. It's yes. quite um... accessibility needs are obviously being taken care of in the in the art. Ah, Prime now does something which marks him out as the leader, and he does this, I think, every episode from now on, which is he points and says a Decepticon. <laughs> Get him! <laughs> that, is, that is what he mainly does. It, 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 so every time the Decepticons turn up, he points and says, the Decepticons. And then, oh, all right, okay, so we've got more characters. We've got Brawn, Bumblebee, Hound, Jazz, and Gears. Yes, Gears is name-checked here, but doesn't actually speak. <laughs> Poor Gears. Uh, but he does have infrared. Yes, which and, just looks like a red light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, and spots Ravage when he's standing in, in an area where he's actually quite easy to see. Uh, but there we go. You know, I mean, infrared, great, really cool way of finding Ravage. I like that. And they launch a special net and capture Ravage. 
uh, who's who's immediately forgotten about. Yes, because mysteriously, Soundwave has still got the information that he needed, even though Ravage was captured. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, maybe add two cassettes. You know. Uh, <laughs> Megatron's very pleased with Soundwave, as usual. Soundwave always makes him happy. Uh, so they're going to attack the dam. Uh, the dam doesn't have enough energy, uh, but in order to make it work, they're going to make a tidal wave. Uh, and they're going to attack the dam at sunrise. And his eyes glow when he says that. Uh, like, I, Why at sunrise? Because it's cool. And because, you know... Maybe they had other things to do until sunrise. You know, they don't. You're not. You're not privy to their entire itinerary. They could have been very, very busy all night. We sunrise might have been the earliest opportunity for an attack. We don't know if they. Uh, we we see them recharging from time to time. So maybe they need to recharge overnight. So uh, Rumble straight into action. They chuck him in the river. Uh, Rumble sinks. Yeah. Uh, swims down and uh, he starts. Yeah, we've got some really nice animation of the waves here as uh, Rumble starts off his tidal wave. Okay, so if you thought the oil rig operators didn't know their job, uh, the guys at the dam, they've got no health and safety procedures. They've got nothing. You've got a a guy who says, hey, Ed, look at this gauge. It's going crazy. Something must be wrong. Surely there must be more data than that. You would think there'd be more data than that. And I'm trying to think, you know... Again, it's a kids' adventure cartoon. You can't put too much into it. But I'm pretty sure that on a real hydroelectric dam, if there was a surge, it would just shut down. Ah. And it wouldn't go, whoa, we're going to blow! And, and again, <laughs> it's a hydroelectric dam. How is it going to blow? I also say about the um, the dam workers, they are incredibly ugly. Uh, they are some of the ugliest uh, people I think we get to see on Transformers. Megatron is remarkably polite at the dam. Because he blasts a hole through the door, through the wall, walks in and introduces himself to everyone. <laughs> I am Megatron. And all the guys are going, I don't really give a fuck who you are, really. You just blew a hole in my dam and you're a huge robot. I thank you for telling me your name. That really helps. But, yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, he's got an ego on him, hasn't he? You know, he wants to make a dramatic entrance. And... Yeah, I am Megatron, leader of the Decepticons. Is that supposed to mean something to us? I. well uh something that means nothing to anyone is the gibberish that appears on the teletran one screen telling the autobots uh that there's a a tidal wave at the sherman dam a real dam in nebraska i looked it up i don't know anything about america but that's that's a real place it is and things happen really quickly at this point so the dam's gonna blow starscream prepares the null ray starscream activates the null ray and Soundwave gets some energy on cubes out, and they're just about to rock on and get some more energy. Different sound effect for the energy on cubes this time. Last episode, it was a lightsaber ignition sound from Star Wars. <laughs> and this episode, it's the original series Star Trek door opening sound. <laughs> Prowl says, do you think the Decepticons did this? Uh, and Megatron turns up saying, you're too late, Prime. Prowl hasn't done very much yet. Uh, and on his showing in this episode, he's not going to get to do very much, is he? No. Despite ostensibly being second in command of the Autobots, Hound has a face mask for going underwater. Yes, that's a rather odd one. Why does he have a face mask? (laughs) Rumble didn't need one. Why does Hound need a face mask? Uh, Okay, yes. Uh, He goes underwater, and and for his efforts, Rumble just smashes him in the nuts straight away. Ouch. And then we've got a bit that I love, and it's also in the... There's a comic strip adaptation in this particular bit where they're digging the trenches to stop the river 
stop the tidal flow as, the, as it comes over the oh, dam. Yeah. Do you think this would actually even come close to working? No. <laughs> no. If we're going to be if we're going to be pedantic about it, no. The size of those trenches and the volume of water that had to be displaced, not a chance. <laughs> that wouldn't work at all. Okay, uh, and even looking at the way it looks on the in the cartoon, there's no effort to make it look like it would work because there's there's like I, the entire screen's filled with water. They dig a little tiny trench and they manage to stop it just in time. But very exciting, we have the first woman in the Transformers sitting on the roof of the house. Yep, she contributes nothing to the story whatsoever except for existing. Yep, uh, and she's uh, voiced by a man. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. I don't think they'd pay another female um, voice artist just to come in and deliver one line. <laughs> yeah, so there's a big, big fight at the power plant, uh, and uh, and we get uh, things get really cool now. They do. But there's a weird thing about the fight at the power plant, and it's a thing that crops up again in Transformers many, many times. There's two two elements of it. One is the animation, the background of these venues that they have their fights in quite often looks like something off of Cybertron rather than Earth. Great big metal panels in the walls and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, why are all the human venues that they have these big fights in such huge cavernous spaces where these giant robots can walk in <laughs> with plenty of headroom and even fly and you fill it the whole place with robots? <laughs> and there's just these tiny little humans at the bottom. Go, wow, this is this is... Yeah. I think uh, I think that this, you know, everything's bigger in America, and it certainly was in the eighties. <laughs> I, I think uh, they've given the job to some contractor who's who's absolutely rinsed them, and they've built this power plant that's just is ten times bigger than it needs to be, uh, <laughs> for no for no real reason apart from uh, well, what if giant robots broke in and wanted to have a really cool fight? Yeah. It's that weird platform just by the huge opening uh, near the top of the wall that gets me. So it's like, there's, that's no good to any human whatsoever. <laughs> What's it uh, doing there? But it looks amazing. Yes. And Megatron is going to push Optimus Prime off a ledge. Or Optimus Prime's hanging on a ledge and Megatron's going to stand on his fingers. But obviously, like, if he fell off the ledge, he'd be fine. We know that. <laughs> yes. We all know that. Um so yeah, so uh, and and Starscream uh, saves Optimus Prime's life again because he's got a special catapult he wants to fire at the Autobots, which distracts Megatron. And uh, has he got a catapult? I mean, <laughs> he's got guns on his arms. Why has he got a catapult? <laughs> I, you, you can't you can't even say because it's cool because. It's not really. It's not cool. A catapult is like the Dennis the Menace style of fighting, isn't it? It's just... <laughs> but fortunately, fortunately, what it means is that you end up with Megatron and Optimus Prime on the top of a dam, which is with the highlight the, of the episode. With the coolest example of the change your hand for something else ever in Transformers. Oh, yeah. As Megatron has a purple energy mace and optimus prime has a big yellow energy axe and you look at this episode and you think jesus those are useful weapons i bet they'll show up again (laughs) but again for for something that's had 30 seconds of screen maybe two minutes of screen time at most like virtually every toy now you can get of optimus prime will come with the axe and you always get a megatron with the 
swirling yeah. uh, swirling ball and chain. Well, even the Lego Optimus Prime that was released a couple of weeks ago has an axe to replace <laughs> one of the hands. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely captured the imagination, and it does look fantastic. It does. It's iconic, and I remember this, this is one of the episodes I remember watching on TV, not just as the video of arrival from Cybertron. I remember watching this episode on telly, uh, and I did some looking up on this. And apparently, the episodes, the sixteen episodes of series one, were repeated over and over again on uh, the Wide Awake Club. <laughs> Whack-a-day, over and over and over again uh, for about two years, just those 16 episodes of Series 1. So I don't know exactly when I saw it, but I know I saw it because I remember it quite distinctly, that that fight on top of the dam. And the end of the episode I remember very distinctly as well. I remember the five minutes. You get five minutes of Transformers in the middle of Whack-a-day, always the highlight, always what I was holding on for. Forget his stupid bashing people on the heads and giving them... um, bruises and uh, plasters and forget all that other rubbish where you might be going to a farm or something I, w- I was just sitting there waiting for those five minutes of Transformers every time um, yeah. thanks Timmy Mallet. Um, Prime says you destroy everything you touch Megatron Megatron might have the touch um, and he wins the battle doesn't he um, because uh, Spike distracts Optimus Prime because uh, he's trying to rescue Hound and Rumble's beating him up. Again, another another punch-up with Rumble. He he rugby tackles Rumble. Because, yeah, because theoretically most... If you know how to rugby tackle well, in theory, you can take down most people with a rugby tackle because it's just the way you lock the legs together. Hmm. Uh, you just have enough, have enough strength to do that. Um, whether it'll work on a robot, uh, maybe not. Well, clearly it does because it happened. You know, there it is. It's there on the screen, Steve. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm taking it as the first source. Uh, yeah, so it definitely happened. So. <laughs> um, Prime swept away in the water, and for the second time this episode, Jazz rescues him with his uh, his, his emergency break. Again, you've got to wonder why the Transformers are susceptible to being swept away in the water. They're massive, great, especially when one of them, two of them have just walked down to the bottom of the riverbed. (laughs) (laughs) They don't seem to be too bothered by it. Uh, Maybe he's low on energy. Whenever something bad happens, he's he's, he's low on energy. Uh, And then Spike uh, rescues Hound, who nearly gets uh, drowned underwater. And you get that... um, that famous screenshot, which looks a bit rude. Probably. I think there are a few <laughs> that look a bit rude. Yeah. Not as bad as the ones you get in the GoBots, apparently. But uh, No, no. GoBots had quite a few very bad choices of screenshot. No, he's just giving him He's just uh, giving him that thing where you push water out of somebody's body. So, yeah, so he pushes water without squashing Spike. And, and, without squashing Spike. That's the impressive bit. He's just like... <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, Spike. The thing about the Transformers, of course, is because they're cars, they talk a lot about drive shafts, axles, flooding your engine and things like that. And they, they, they use an awful lot of terminology that's suitable for 20th century vehicles rather than the alien vehicles they're supposed to be. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that they've got an internal combustion engine. <laughs> So the Decepticons have, have kind of won this round. Uh, no, not kind of. The Decepticons have absolutely trounced the Ozbots here, haven't they? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Again, they've they've raided a place and got away with the Energon cubes. 
and they're still building their spaceship, which is coming together really quickly. Yeah, we're not, uh, well, uh, the timescale is is three days, according to um, like the official titles. It's day one, day two, day three. But I think this takes place over months. Um, I think it has to take place over a lot longer than that because yeah, they've been. Yeah, poor old Mirage wants to leave. Um, Huffer complains that they're not fighters, which is interesting, given how long they've been at war. Yes, uh, but 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 I, I really actually quite you know it's little things like that where you actually feel for them that um, you know Huffer, Huffer says we're not fighters, we we don't know how to do this. Um, this is one of the. This is what makes the the series so successful. I think is that a lot of the characters are all distinct, and some of them are reluctant fighters. Um, some of them are quite happy to fight. Some of them want the power for themselves. Some of them don't really care. It's there's all sorts of distinctive characters in there, and they've made them sufficiently distinctive that you know you know Starscream and you, that you think about the character, uh, the characterizations when you when you hear the names. Um, I mean, Optimus Prime is, again, this is one of the things that makes him a good leader. He's not out to fight. He fights because he has to, and he'll take the decisions that he needs to, but he doesn't want to go and beat up the Decepticons just to get rid of them. You know? Yeah. I, 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 remember, I, I remember hearing Peter Cullen being interviewed on one of the, I think it's on one of the DVDs about his voice acting for it. He said he went, he went in after several people who were going in and he could hear them through the doors doing very kind of militaristic yeah oh yeah we'll get them and being very very uh, rough with it and he went in and did something very different which was make him very gentle and well softly spoken but still with that edge to it when it needed to be and that's what got in the part apparently and i think his characterization of prime is brilliant on that one yeah i to- i totally agree i think um they the, the characterization is like for characters who sings there's like 400 autobots already and they all turn up for one line the fact that they they you can feel that they've got a bit of character um mm. when they could all just be ciphers uh or more of ciphers anyway so the decepticons go back to their base they've uh, collected three thousand astroliters of energon which is almost enough uh and we see them taking power from all over the world including trees getting energon from trees somehow and then Megatron gets very excited by the ruby crystals of Burma. Uh, again, something I've looked up, there, there is a real alley of rubies in, uh, it's called Myanmar now. Um, Burmese, Burmese rubies are, are an actual thing. They can get, I, okay, I think they can get any energy out of them because they're aliens and they know how to get energy out of crystals. Yeah, crystals having energy is one of the big things in these in this series. There's quite a few magic crystals that have energy powers and things like that, um, and it does crop up in several other things. And of course, there is a kind of weird pseudoscience crystal power type thing, which I'm not going to get into because I'll just end up going off on a rant, and we won't go we won't go down there. The way the mine is portrayed is probably not what it actually looks like, though. I'm thinking the mine in reality is a big hole in the ground with lots of equipment digging crystals out. What they have here is something that apparently has no people in it and weird glass tubes that are just funneling endless supplies of crystals in these huge trucks. I mean, if you could mine that many rubies out of a mine, that would be amazing. (laughs) 
<laughs> it would be terrible, Jason. It would be such a bad idea because you would uh, completely devalue rubies for everyone. Uh, yes. And there'd just be no point anymore. Um, Maybe this is why there aren't so many in there, though. The Transformers got there first. Ah, they've taken them all. They've yeah. taken them all. And artificially uh, inflated the value of rubies. Um, yes. Well, we've got a little bit where Starscream tests the Energon cubes, uh, which actually sets the Decepticons back because, um, you know, he's just using them up uh, willy-nilly to blow up bits of mountain. Okay, good good for start. But he did test them. You know, you've got to test the Energon cubes. They don't know they work. Yeah, it would be a bit of a sod if they nicked all that energy and then built their spacecraft and pressed the ignition and nothing happened, wouldn't it, really? And, you know, the other thing, Megatron is like, the difference is time, you idiot. Now we need two strikes. It's like, you have won every single one so far. I don't think another one is going to be too much trouble for you. Yeah, why are you rushing? You know, you're going to conquer the universe, you know. Enjoy sound it. Sound waves, like, oh, rocket fuel is also a highly concentrated form of energy. <laughs> Uh, tipped you off on the old rocket fuel, eh? Uh, yeah, you'll be in on that. And then you've got uh, the... It's the Autobots' turn to do some spying. Uh, so Trailbreaker's spying with Spike and, and his dad. Uh, and this is where we find out his name for the first time, which is Radios themselves. It's Sparkplug here. I think it's a code name. I think he made it up to sound cool. I don't think it's really that <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> I can believe that. Why does Trailbreaker, a Cybertronian vehicle robot type thing have a human sized radio system inside that spark plug can use and why can't trailbreaker just call up hq himself <laughs> um, i think he just wants spark plug to feel useful i think that's what he's just let's we've got i've got these guys let's make them feel like they're contributing something shall we oh we'll uh, use that radio and just say yeah i could do it myself but you know you, you do it we're, we're getting a lot of that actually um yeah, but everybody's got a special skill. Everybody's got, you know, their part to play. Okay, uh, and then we get uh, Sunstreaker and Sideswipe to the rescue because they get attacked by two light purple jets who may or may not be Skywarp and Thundercracker. They're kind of close enough. And they see off the jets with a quick blast from a gun that pops out the back of uh, Sunstreaker's fender, which is really cool. Well done, Sunstreaker. They don't take much to scare them off, though, do they? One shot hits yeah. one of them, and he goes, oh, I'm going back for repairs. Yeah, all right, I'll go with you. <laughs> I don't think their heart was really in the fight there. I like the... I like the so the mining... They get to the crystal mines, as you say. Um, you know, tremendous... I think it's... Because there's no sort of, like, labour there, it's obviously from a better universe than ours, where, you know, you're not forcing kids down mines to, to uh, look for rubies. Uh, and it makes lovely red Energon cubes. They look really cool as well. Uh, like jelly. The Autobots turn up at the mine entrance. Prime points at the mountain, says, there they are. Good old Prime, doing his old pointing thing. Um, and and Wheeljack produces the world's smallest bomb. Yes. Tiny, tiny green bomb, uh, which apparently enough is uh, is enough to bury them forever. Spark, I, I, I'm really worried about Sparkplog because he, he then says, oh, I know, I've worked these mines. I, I, I don't think he's ever been down those mines. I, just, I think he just wants to be useful. What, what do you think? I think it's probably, yes, probably the case. <laughs> because, again, geography being somewhat flexible in the Transformers universe, let's remember that Burma is on the other side of the world <laughs> to where Sparkplug was presumably born and grew up and now lives. So why did he just pop off to Burma to work in a mine? You know, that's not... It's not <laughs> Not the kind of work you disappear off to the other side of the world for when you live in America. So, uh, so who do they send on the mission? 
Bumblebee and spark plug because spark plug knows the mines although that doesn't seem particularly relevant when you're going to blow it up anyway and bumblebee because he's the smallest and he can get in yeah i i and as primes just sending them out on the the mission you you, you can see him just thinking it through and thinking okay right send spark plug he knows the mines. send bumblebee he's very sweet and, he, and he, he's just okay and he said he said they're gonna get killed aren't they they're gonna get killed <laughs> I know, but I've agreed to it now. Okay, I'm just going to let him go. Let him go. They might not get killed. Yeah, the other thing, of course, is bumblebees. I'm the smallest. I'm also bright yellow, so I'll stick out like a sore thumb <laughs> in a mine like that. <laughs> yeah, he makes. He's he's not really big on camouflage, is he? No. And then they just sort of stroll down the corridor. They don't. They don't try and hide. They just sort of stroll in and go. Uh, this will do. <laughs> Mirage is right there. He can turn invisible. He would be the per- <laughs> okay. All right, shut up, Stephen. Um, and there's the the lovely lovely bumblebee turning into a car spark plug gets in they drive 20 yards to the entrance of the line (laughs) (laughs) glorious moment i love that uh they transforms back spark plug gets out again um and they start walking down the line yeah and we got uh skywalk and thunder cracker are pushing carts complaining that the earth is very flat apparently yeah especially weird considering that they're in a mine that is in the side of a mountain. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Really odd comment. And another thing about scale in Transformers as well, they're pushing carts, which are clearly designed for Transformers to push, not humans. uh, (laughs) No, I can't explain that one. Well, maybe they're train carts. That would make a kind of (laughs) sense, I guess. So Bumblebee and Sparkplug, they successfully plant the bomb, set the timer, 60 seconds, uh, and on the way out, they get ca- they get cornered. Well, not cornered. They bump into uh, Skywalk and Thundercracker. And rather than doing this, because well, I think the sensible thing to do then would be to run past them. But Bumblebee seems to say, I'll take Skywarp, Sparkplug, you take Thundercracker. <laughs> Naturally. Yeah. So what's going on outside? Everyone's standing around just outside a mine that's about to blow up, which doesn't really seem like the most sensible thing to be doing. Um, And Prime is getting concerned that they should have been back by now. Guilty. So Prime goes, no, I'll go. Um, I'll use Roller. Bit of uh, functionality from the toy there. Because he's small enough to get in. He also sounds remarkably like (laughs) R2-D2. Yeah, that, that is... That is so blatant, and they must know that everyone would have seen Star Wars who's watching Transformers. Yes. So Optimus Prime sends Roller in, and just as Roller's going in, the bomb goes off. Uh, the Decepticons are buried alive, but Prime becomes the only the second Autobot to roll down a cliff. That's the thing I remember from watching this when I was a kid, watching Optimus Prime get blown off the side of a cliff and rolling down. And that cliff doesn't look that high, but he rolls for a very long time <laughs> as they do the voiceover <laughs> and everything else. Uh, it, it's great. I, I, yeah, I, and it's another thing that you think, oh, okay, so he rolls down the cliff, that's fine. And thinking about actually animating that and the number of frames you have to do and the number of times you have to do it at a slightly different angle as you roll it each time, it's one of those little things that's really impressive. Um, mm. And it looks great as well. And as I say, it's memorable. Uh, wow, what what uh, what an opening that is! So, um, who do you think is our man of the match for episode two of the Transformers? 
man of the match for episode two, I reckon. He, I don't know. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I I would like. I think I might nominate Spike to be honest, because just just because his boldness in taking on Rumble. Uh, and rescuing Hound yeah, as well. Yeah, I th- I th- I th- even though he nearly got yeah. crime killed, I think. Yeah, no, I, th- I think. I think we'll go. I think we'll go with Spike for that one. I think. I think we'll go yeah. with Spike. Good on yeah. Spike. Cool. Right. <laughs> That's it. We've made it through two episodes. So, thank you very much for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Stephen Alexander, co-hosting with uh, my pal Jason Thompson. We'll be back next time with another action-packed double bill. But until then, please remember to check driving conditions before you travel, as unexpected meteor storms may result in delays of up to four million years. Thank you for listening, and good night. Good night, all. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you.